I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Happy Friday, everybody. What's popping? I have no brand new whip. I'm running out of options of ideas what to talk about. Just to quote Jack Harlow, start your day off right. I'm joined by Mr. Will Weir. We're going to kind of figure out some stuff to talk about. I'm sure there's a lot. I'm just being a bit pessimistic because I hate the fact that there's no Celtics basketball. Watching the Clippers play and then obviously the Clippers lose. Watching the Phoenix Suns win. You've got Milwaukee and Atlanta playing today, if I'm not mistaken. And here we all are, man, just, uh, you know. Waiting for the next press conference. I feel a bit. I feel a bit um left out right now. Will I feel left out? Will's in Mexico, calling me from Mexico. I feel I'm in England. It's wet. I'm a bit sad, man. What's going on, Will? Hey, man. Good to talk to you, Adam. Here, yeah, we got ourselves a uh, you know a different type of international podcast today. Usually, we're going U.S. to England. Today, we got Mexico to England on here, man. But. It's a it's a weird world out there in the NBA right now. The Suns are going to the finals and. You know, I, looking back at the beginning of the season, how much would it have taken you to put any type of money that we could potentially end up with a Suns-Hawks finals? What a weird world. Man, I'll tell you this right now. I remember me getting into a, a debate. It was quite a heated debate with somebody I know um, because he, he was he was valuing the Suns higher than the, than the Blazers. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, they just signed Chris Paul. I wasn't sure how the fit was going to be. And I'm like, nah, dude, like, I can't put the Suns above the Blazers. Looking back, I'm like, I could not have been more wrong. <laughs> uh, the Blazers are in all sorts of trouble right now, um, both like basketball politics-wise, um, playing personnel-wise, and the Suns are about to start in the finals. And then you look at the Hawks. I remember having a very big podcast episode on a show that I was on at the time, like Guesting Gun, where we were just like, how is this going to work? How is everybody going to get the touches they need to be successful? Uh, apparently, the answer was to hire Nate McMillan. Yeah, right. Who would have thought, dude? Who would have thought that the coach that was in Indiana for whatever it was, four or five years, and I heard this stat before the start of the playoffs, and it, it kind of blew my mind because, you know, Nate McMillan, he, he had a solid run with the Pacers. You know, they, they were always in the playoffs. They were kind of seemingly always in that four to seven range over the last couple of seasons. But I think his record over the last three or four postseasons, they had won a total, a total of three games and that was in that one seven game series against LeBron James with Victor Oladipo, and they got swept every other time. And now Nate McMillan has the Hawks two games away from the NBA Finals. So go figure, man. Do you know what you heard that because the Pacers, with their unclassy selves, decided to put that in their press release on when they released him. Did they really? I actually didn't remember that. Yeah, there was an uproar, dude, because how like it was just a classless move. And like, if you look at it now and you look at the roster that Atlanta have and the skill level that they have, there's an argument there that Nate McMillan wasn't the problem. It was the roster construction all along that was a problem. Now, obviously, that's for Indy Cornrows to go and discuss, not for us to discuss. But it does lead into a good narrative that we can kind of lean into. Because if you look at the Atlanta Hawks, you've got Trey Young, a young superstar on the, in the making, um, drafted by Atlanta, Boston have Jason Tatum, young superstar in the making, drafted by Boston. Then you look at Jalen Brown. Who would his compa- like his comparison be for Atlanta? Would it be DeAndre Hunter? Would it be Kevin Huerta? You know, just in yeah. terms of young 
secondary options on that team. And then Atlanta's team are young too. It's made up of a bunch of guys that were drafted. They only really went and got their vets this offseason just gone. Mm -hmm. They picked up Bogdanovich. They picked up Danilo Gallinari. They bought in Rajon Rondo. Obviously, Rondo ended up moving on, but they bought him in. And you luckily, I remember thinking that, yo, the, the Hawks are going down a route where they're trying to build like the Warriors. They wanted shooting from everywhere and ball handling across the court. And then they just decided, hey, we've got everything we need. We just need that veteran presence. And that's something Celtics fans have been calling for now for a year or two. And maybe again, we've seen Brad Stevens falter, but maybe it was again, and Brad Stevens is obviously not there no more, but maybe some of those false starts and um, early hurdles that they didn't manage to clear as comfortably as you would like were more down to roster construction than they were to the coaching. Yeah, and I mean, that circles back to kind of the conversation that we've had all throughout the year of this there was no one person to blame for this past Celtics season. It was a blame pie where there was some that was towards Danny Ainge and you know his time as as the president of basketball operations. There was part Brad Stevens coaching. There's part that's on the roster construction, part of the roster itself, and then you know some of it's just COVID and, and general health that you don't really have a say over. So I think now that we've kind of reshuffled the deck a little bit, you know, as far as you know, trying to bring in some more veterans, bring Al Horford back. It's going to be really interesting to see what some of the next moves that are going to be made. And, you know, you and I were texting before this trying to figure out what we're going to talk about. And I think this leads into some of Wick's comments from a few days ago where, you know, it sounds like this could potentially be a busy offseason, whether that means, you know, we're pretty limited, you know, when it comes to cap space and free agency, but we have some of our own people that we need to address in-house. And then also there's the possibility of, of different trades that could happen and different salaries you can put together to potentially maybe bring in some of those veterans, much like the Hawks did, which then amplified their young guys and provided them with a different type of support system that is clearly paying dividends here in the playoffs. Yeah, and the one thing that bothers me about saying it's going to be a busy July or there's going to be moves or you're expecting moves, first of all, just because you're expecting that to happen doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. And the Celtics fan base have had quite a consistent amount of false hope over the last two years in terms of roster moves, in terms of, hey, this free agent might become available. It's big game hunting all the time, time and time again. And personally for me, I think that this this year might be a bit different where we actually see the moves, but it's not big game hunting. Brad strikes me as a guy that's going to build uh, a more complete roster rather than having a bunch of guys whose contracts can be cobbled together to make an enticing trade package. So when I'm thinking of trades this year, when I'm thinking of guys that might be available, might be acquired via, um, you know, flipping a few guys for, to create some salary space to be able to hit a guy up on free agency or being able to work yourself in as a third team, similar to what um, Cleveland did to acquire Jarrett Allen mm -hmm. during that James Harden trade. Those type of finesse trades, those ones that go under the radar, get laughed at a little bit, but realistically are the ones that actually make your team better as a whole unit. I think those are the types of trades that we're going to see. And anybody that's kind of hoping to see these this big game hunting that everybody got used to under Danny Age continue, I think at least for this season, that's most likely a thing of the past. Yeah, I'm with you on it, but I think Brad's going to take a little bit more of a methodical approach and that you can kind of table right now those Dame Lillard, Brad Beal, big game hunting, as you called it. You know, you can kind of table those discussions. And I love that you brought up the Jared Allen trade because that was one, at the time, almost every team in the NBA, when they saw 
all that Cleveland had to do to get involved with that and then scoop Jared Allen, that was one of the biggest steals of the entire you know NBA season was them being able to be that third team to facilitate and then be able to bring in Jared Allen. A big mistake from the Rockets on my from my point of view, for not at least bringing in that asset. I don't know what they were necessarily thinking when it came to it, but I do think you're right that you're going to see from the Celtics here in this offseason a bunch of smaller moves that are that are going to, I think, potentially move the needle. And, you know, one of the things that they're really going to address is just in-house, some of the guys that they got to look at for renewals and contract extensions. And I think ultimately what that could look to do is then as we look ahead to the season itself getting started, you know, We've mentioned a lot that this team didn't have a chance to actually see what it looks like as a whole. So I think there's a lot to that. And then having a few pieces that you can move later in the season. And so if you extend a few of these guys, get a little bit more flexibility. And that's been a big word that you've heard from Brad, from Wick, from pretty much everyone in the Celtics front office. Having flexibility around the Jays with your cap and your roster, you're going to be able to make some of those moves that are ultimately going to be what you really need to create that true support system. Oh, for sure. And these moves, as we're talking about, are finding yourself a, a Jay Crowder. Not necessarily Jay Crowder, because obviously Phoenix are going to do everything they can yeah. to keep him back, around. Back-to-back NBA Finals participant, Jay Crowder. Yeah, you want guys that are going to give you that type of value. I've stressed all year on this podcast, on social media, how much of a great pickup Derek Favors was going back to Utah how much he provided that second unit with the defense. So when Rudy Gobert sits, you now have another defensive big that is a bit more versatile, but does pretty much what you need in drop systems. You don't really have to change your approach to the game because you're just plugging in another high-level defender. And that's where the Celtics have struggled this year because when, okay, obviously when Tatum sits, you're going to feel it. When Brown sits, you're going to feel it. But when, say, Robert Williams sits, well, now you should be able to plug and play your next guy, your next rim-running big, but you can't because your next big off the bench is more of a bruiser that is going to be a bit more versatile defensively, but you lose that offensive punch, and now you need to find a way to replace that by putting pressure on uh, Peyton Pritchard or putting a pressure on and Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford, guys that just aren't ready to play with that expectation on their shoulders. So these little finesse moves that we're talking about, not only help the team keep continuity when some of the non-stars go to the bench, but it also helps the younger guys play a bit more freely because that expectation is fairly distributed across that bench rather than just solely relying on their shoulders. And I think that was a big underrated aspect of this year for the Celtics. Yeah. Do you have any names? I know I saw the other day on Twitter, Adam, you were throwing around uh, Ricky Rubio as a guy that, that you would that you would like the Celtics to target. Is there anyone else? Or, or maybe you want to talk a little bit about Ricky Rubio as someone you have your eyes on. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just like, it's not so much that I've got my eyes on him, but everybody wants Lonzo Ball. Everybody's saying pass first point guard. Now, for me personally, I think that Al Horford's addition to this team reduces the necessity of having a pass first point guard. But what I do think is you need penetration and Al Horford is not going to give you that penetration. And you need to be able to have a guard that can handle the rock, that can play off ball too, play a bit of off ball, and that likes to get into the lane. It doesn't need to necessarily be a key finisher in the lane, but creation from dribble drive penetration was one of the Celtics' biggest flaws this year. And I think that Rubio gives you exactly that. Now, his contract's a bit high for my liking. It's yeah. like $17 million, but it's a one-year deal. So you still keep that flexibility, right? And again, that's a key word. 
Um, and the reason I like him is, yeah, he's going to be a bit of a negative on defense, but he's a probably he's a better defender than Kemba off ball. He can defend the passing lanes quite well. Um, very nifty at sneaking up on guys and getting steals from behind. Um, true veteran will come in and keep that veteran presence. And that made sense to me. And there's other guys available. You know, TJ McConnell could be a good shout. Yeah, that, that's one that I got my eye on is TJ McConnell. If the Suns weren't having just the most crazy playoff run right now, Cameron Payne probably would have mm-hmm. been an option. You know what I'm saying? Um, people want Rajon Ronda. Again, that's fine. But the difference is these names we're mentioning penetrate. With Lonzo Ball, you're, you're getting another perimeter creator a guy that doesn't like to venture into the paint, a guy that barely wants to beat guys off the dribble. He's more of a pass that swing the ball around on around the perimeter and then relocate. And his relocation mm-hmm. skills are really high level, but that doesn't fix the glaring hole that was there in this season just gone. And that's kind of why Rubio makes sense to me. And for me, more it was more of a framework of the type of guard they should be looking at rather than saying, hey, Rubio is that guy. But obviously, you have to use a name, and then you stand by that name because that he does fill a huge need for the Celtics. Yeah, in that, in that same exchange, Adam, I saw that. I don't know if it was you or or, or the person you were interacting with uh, mentioned that you know the new the new coded word for for guys who can't shoot is pass first point guards. So obviously, you mean you want the guys who can't shoot? There's just the pass first point guards now, and you're looking at Rubio, Lonzo Ball. I just thought that was uh, an interesting antidote from from the conversation that that y'all were having. And yeah, I, I think your I think your vision is absolutely in the right place. The the contract with Rubio is is one that even though it's expiring, you know, you'd have to talk about having that flexibility. I really think that thus far trying to read some of the tea leaves of these different press conferences and interviews that we're seeing, you know, the, the new Celtics front office do, I think they want to go into the season with a little bit more flexibility because to get Rubio, you're probably packaging Tristan Thompson and a handful of other contracts to go ahead and do that. That doesn't mean you can't then move Rubio later in the year, but I think they want to have a little bit more versatility going into the season. So if they can bring back Fournier, maybe get Rob Williams on that team-friendly extension, maybe a small two-year extension for Marcus Smart. Now you've got a few more chips that you can play with, a few more contracts that you can can pile together. As asked, I think that would probably be more an area they lean to and maybe a guy like TJ McConnell, who you mentioned, who I think made about $3.5 million. I looked it up earlier last year. So maybe you can get him in at that taxpayer mid-level uh which is i think roughly around five million correct me if i'm i'm wrong on that but that would be an area in which they could bring him in but you know i think those are going to be some of the players that they look to and you know that type of player i think is someone that could help you have a great point that al horford offsets the need for for some of this to a certain degree but having someone that penetrates is going to be actually probably more important than the past first portion of this yeah, for sure. The only thing is that, and, and again, you can get guards that penetrate and look for their shot, and that's fine too. But you can't go too far towards the look for your own shot way. You can go as far towards the pass first. If we're thinking that this is a scale, right? Like, I don't care if the scale is completely tipped to pass first, so not can't shoot. But I don't want it being more favored towards look for my own shot because the Celtics went that route. They got a penetrating guard in Jeff Teague that predominantly looks for his own shot, and it was a disaster. Because when you penetrate, the reason you're penetrating is because you have elite wings that can cut, like attack off the rip through, come off rip DHOs. They can do all of these high-level basketball operations in terms of attacking the rim, pulling up from mid-range, coming off a pin down to hit the ball in, a, in, in like a fluid motion. 
So when you penetrate, you're doing that because you have elite level shot finishes, um, play finishes is what we'd call them. So that's why you want that penetration. If you get a guy that leans too much to his own shot, well, now you might as well get Kemba Walker or you might as well go and get Jeff Teague again because that didn't work. We've seen that not work consistently for two or three years. And that's just why pass first, it does mean can't shoot. But at the same time, it's a prototype that should be able to unlock the Neesmith, the, um, the Jalen Brown, the Jason Tatum. My thing is you have a pass first point guard already on the roster. He's just not a point guard yet. And that's Romeo Langford. He's got the size, he's got the length, he's got the perimeter defense on lock. All you need to do is give him the confidence to start attacking off the, off the dribble and just tell him, like, dude, unless you're around the rim, do not shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, just get your assist numbers. There's, there's value in that. And I think that that could be an option that we start to see. Uh, Romeo Langford, Peyton Pritchard backcourt, one and two. I mean, who, who's, who's going to be mad at that? Uh, at least for a, a trial run early in the year. If it doesn't work, you've still got the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, experimenting with Romeo, more having uh, more ball handling responsibilities was something Brad hinted at towards the end of the season. Now, obviously, he was the head coach when he said that, but you know, m- maybe that will be something that that he works on. With uh, it, actually, this is something I want to transition to for a second here. Are we are we going to call Ime Udoka? Are we going to call him Coach Ime? We just going with Ime? We're going to say the full name? How, how are we doing this? Because I actually just tripped myself up there trying to think of this here, Adam. We'll just say Ime. Just say email. Okay, we'll go. Yeah. We'll go with that. We'll go. I with made that. a dad joke it. about this, and no one found it funny, man. I said he oh, may be good. He may be good. He uh, may be bad. I got you. Nobody knows. <laughs> no, nobody found it funny, man. But I, I thought it was quite. Uh, it was dad joke esque, and being a dad, uh, I feel like I done myself proud with that one. Yeah, you did good. I think. I think it's just one of those ones. That I think it actually would have worked better on podcast form. Did you say it on a podcast? Or did you say it on Twitter? Uh, I think I said it on Green Room. Okay, okay. So yeah, maybe it didn't translate there. I thought it would. I thought it should have been a hit. I'm, I'll tell you what, man. I'm giving you some claps out here in Mexico for it. I think it was. I think it was well done. I mean, he may, he may. I just the connection there was astounding. How nobody else has got there yet? I, I just don't understand. Well, we're gonna make it a recurring joke here on this podcast going forward. So we're gonna make it stick. Oh yeah, for sure. I brought it up for a reason, dude. <laughs> but yeah man i feel like Ime's fine udoka's fine i've never referred to a coach as coach on a podcast now if i ever get the opportunity to speak to them now you're coach you know coach, mm-hmm. hey coach but i don't need to call you coach on a podcast that i'm not talking to you on if you're listening to this and you'd like me to call you coach then a i'm honored that you're listening and b Tweet at me, dude. If you're not on Twitter, my email address is in um, my Celtics blog bio. Shoot me an email. I'll call you coach from there on out. Email. Hit us up, man. Well, okay, so here's the thing, right? So we don't know what type of system Ime is going to run. We can't assume that he's going to continue to switch everything defense. We can't assume that he's going to be um, a perimeter-based offense, more five-out-based. Maybe he wants more motion, more guys running baseline, more back cuts, uh, run some um, whatever he wants to run. So at the moment, everything that everyone's discussing, uh, like needing the penetration, like needing uh, Al Horford offsetting certain things, we know that's a glaring flaw, but maybe the way Ime runs the system, it's less prevalent and there's a new flaw that we just don't know yet because we don't know what his vision is right now. And I think that's one of the hardest parts. We're discussing roster construction and flaws of the last season, Mm -hmm. but the team's not going to operate that way. 
yeah. you know, there's so many variants that can come into play. And that's what makes this whole, like, um, reading the tea leaves, as you put it, you know, like, um, that looking into the crystal ball and seeing what comes out, that makes it much tougher because it's really hard to get a feel for what type of players A, team needs, and B, they're going to be targeting. Well, well here's the thing. From Ime's press conference, one thing that we do know that he's going to be leaning into is, is more ball movement in the offense. And he had that amazing jab at Brad, which I think really loosened him up during that opening presser, where you could tell he was a little nervous to get started, but then gave, gave Brad that little ribbing about finishing 27th in assists. And so you know that at the very least, and what form that's going to take, you know, from the Al Horford edition, or, you know, we're talking about having, you know, more penetrators on the team as well, but ball movement is going going to be something that that he seems to be you know highly impressing upon this offense here going forward so that we don't end up in that same position in the very bottom of the league when it comes to assists per game yeah and I mean that could come in the way of a Miami type offense where you run a bunch of offense through a creative big on the high post you know you've got Robert Williams that is a phenomenal passer Al Horford is an exceptional playmaker I think Grant Williams has value as a high post playmaker um, running DHOs, fake DHOs, and just, you know, getting into post position, high, low, and then feeding out for some shoot scoring opportunities from there. You all, and then you obviously have your, um, your Chicago sets and your DHOs off the corner and whatever it may be. But Miami have been very consistent in their creation while real, realistically only having two playmakers on the team in Bam and Jimmy. Now, those are both real high level playmakers. But other guys, oh, sorry, Dragic as well. I, mean, mm-hmm. I do apologize for it. But the, there's, you know, that's similar to Boston. They have Al, they have Tatum that's a flourishing playmaker. They have Rob that's a playmaker. By running that type of offense and that motion-based offense where everybody peels off screens, everybody re-screens, everybody cuts, you create ball movement and create a wider network of assists because it's so easy to hit the open guy. So we could be looking at that type offense, or it could go the other way, and you look at like the, the Budenholzer um, ran, embracing randomized basketball, whoever's open gets the ball, whoever moves gets, gets fed, and then things become a bit different because now you're relying on uh, a Marcus Smart in a Drew Holiday role to be your primary creator. You're relying on penetration off Jason Tatum in a Giannis role and then dishing out on um, Dumpas and stuff. So there's so many different ways that Imi could go. And I'm, I'm rambling here just to try and drive home the point that there's, there's a lot of ways to offset what we're talking about right now that we just can't really dive into because we just don't know. Yeah, so so having said that, because you're right, we, I don't know if there's a ton of point of us digging too deep into fictional or hypothetical offenses that we have no idea if that's the way that EMA is going to go. But, you know, just from looking at at his press conference from from earlier in the week, you know, what was your takeaways from that press conference. What, what was it that stood out to you from that? They're going to get back their defensive identity. I think that's something that um, I feel very strongly about. I feel like that's how the Celtics built so many um, key runs uh, during Brad Stevens' early years was a defensive hard-nosed identity. Um, Ime is talking about bringing out the dogging guys, Marcus Smart being a pillar of the team, you know, and he may be right, he may be wrong, but we'll see what happens with Smart there. Um, but hey, I got it again. You may be right. You may be wrong. Um, but f- seriously, like, I think defense is going to be a key. And I also like the fact that he's talking about coaching these guys hard. Now, I've been very big on you don't need a coach that's going to create friction with your star players. That is the last thing you need. 
but you need a player, you need a coach that is going to hold these guys accountable. If Marcus Smart takes a heat check with 19, 20, 21 seconds on the clock, I want a coach to be chewing him out. Bench him for five minutes if you need to. If Jason Tatum goes ISO until five seconds left on the clock, I want someone to be chewing him out because this is how you start to wear, like eradicate the bad habits. It's the same in anything, right? If, you, you, if you're at work and you've developed a bad habit of, I don't know, talking at the water cooler for five minutes every hour, somebody's going to chew you out like, hey, I don't mind you getting up and walking around because you've got to rest your eyes, but like, you don't need to strike up a conversation about what the Patriots were doing on the weekend every hour. Like it, it's ironing out those bad, um, bad habits, and I think that's important, and that's something I'd expect Ime to really take a big pride in doing with these guys. That felt like a direct hit, Adam. I was totally that guy when it came when it came to being in the office. Ah, oh, time to get up and stretch my legs. Time to go find the Adam Taylor of my office to go talk about the Celtics with for five to ten minutes. That totally feels like it hit. It's a direct hit right at me. You know, playing <laughs> battleships, man. International battleships. But yeah, man. I think you know with um, with email, you t- you touched on on a word that really stuck out to me is that culture of accountability and that. You know, these guys want to be coached. And that's something he talked about when he talked to the Jays, when he worked with the Jays and Marcus Smart during his time with Team USA. And, you know, I think it can't be understated that I think him being a being a part of Team USA and being able to go over to Tokyo with Jason Tatum is is huge for, you know, as he called them, the pillars of this. You know, Jalen Brown won't be there, but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are those pillars that Ime went out of his way to go ahead and mention many times in his press conference. So I think his alignment with the Jays and with, you know, I'm going to put Marcus Smart in here as well, because even though he didn't necessarily mention Marcus as a pillar, he has since later called him a foundation in other interviews that he's done. I think those are the three main guys that Ime is looking to build a relationship with that then can take that culture and spread it throughout this team. And I think that's going to be a very high point of emphasis that We'll have to keep an eye on, see how that goes. You know, it sounds great right now in theory. We'll have to see at the beginning of the season and throughout the season how that develops. But that seems to be a very strong point of emphasis for Ime. And if you're trying to build that culture and bring back that defensive attitude and get that accountability, I genuinely believe we're going to see a bunch more Aaron Neesmith. Because I think that Neesmith showed that he holds himself accountable. He hustles his butt off. And he's got that defensive mentality. Um, multiple times this year, we saw him being the first guy back down the court. If he lost, if he missed a shot, and then, or he, say he someone stole the ball off him, he would make sure he was on that guy's heels all the way back to the rim. And it's it's plays like that and attitudes like that that, to me, sound like they're going to fit in with what Ime is trying to do and the way he's trying to build that culture back up. So I think that Aaron Neesmith could be one of the guys to really benefit from Ime coming in. And I'm not saying he didn't get a fair crack under Brad Stevens because he did, but Brad Stevens was notoriously hard on rookies. And I'm obviously we don't know if Ime is going to be, but I just feel like this is a really good opportunity for, for Neesmith to start to flourish and earn some more playing time. 
Yeah, and I mean, depending on what happens, getting back to our roster construction that we were talking about earlier, you know, depending on what happens and, you know, there's not a lot of flexibility. So if this team kind of runs it back, let's, you know, work under the presumption, and it's a pretty big presumption at this point, that, you know, Evan Fournier is coming back, which I I feel good about, but I felt good about Gordon Hayward coming back last year. So don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. But Fournier coming back and then this team kind of rounding into shape with, you know, not maybe one or two other small additions – there's going to be a lot of opportunity for guys like Romeo and Neesmith who may fit that mold that hit a lot of those tones that Ime was trying to set in his presser and give them opportunities. And they're going to have them for sure early in the season if this roster looks the same to be able to prove that they should be key rotation guys throughout the entire season. Now, if we want to talk, I mean, I completely agree, but I kind of want to go back a little bit here. Yeah. If we're talking about key rotation guys. We're talking about foundational pieces. I need to know. Do you agree that Marcus Smart is a foundational piece? This is a topic that has been rife over Celtics Twitter. It's rife in the podcast world at the moment. Uh, it's rife on in not even just Celtics Twitter, just Celtics socials. Any social media where there's a Celtics fan's presence, one of the big conversations right now is, is Marcus Smart a foundational piece? It's it, Yeah, you're totally right. And it's a, I think it's a tough question to answer because – Part of me instinctually wants to just tell you, yes, he is. He feels like when I think of the Celtics and I think of the Celtics team that I want to see, it's the Marcus Smart plays that he makes diving on the ground. It's him picking up James Harden full court and causing back-to-back offensive foul calls. That's what I want this team from a culture standpoint to imbibe. But at the same time, Talent does reign supreme in the NBA. And so while I'm never going to advocate giving away Marcus Marley, I don't think he's ever been a player in his time with the Celtics that has gotten to the point of him being on the court is overly hurting the Celtics, that you would give him away for something lesser. At the end of the day, if there's a move to make, I don't think he's that foundational like I find the Jays to be which is why I put them and why I 100% agree with them being in that category, that I would be afraid to move on from Marcus Smart. So it's a gray area for me, Adam. It's really hard to, to really put my mark one way or the other. How do you feel about it? So for me, it's tough. Like I feel like it's a foundational piece, but I feel like it's one of those foundations. Like, so if we're doing this, like if we're talking about foundations in terms of building a house, right? So, I feel like he's definitely one of the foundations, but maybe he's the foundation to the wall that is that can be knocked down when you're building an extension onto a house. And that foundation isn't going to rock the rest of that structure as much as if you knock out the support wall foundations, for argument's sake. And so um, to kind of tie this analogy back, what I'm saying is I think Marcus Smart is definitely a foundational piece. But if at any point you get an inclination that he's, not willing to sign a team-friendly deal or he's looking for more money than what you feel his value truly is, then moving him on isn't going to be the catastrophic um, Armageddon of the Celtics' identity as what, uh, as what some people believe. But I do think that he holds a tremendous amount of value to this franchise. And I, I genuinely, truly, honestly believe that his value to Boston is always going to be more than what it would be to another team that he went to because he's built that, he's part of that culture now. He's part of what it means to be a modern day Celtic. He, he em, embraces the city, the fans embrace him, and he's the type of guy that will turn a decibel level up from eight to 10 with one of his plays. However, if he wants 20 million and you've drawn a hard stop at 17, then you need to start building the extension on that house. 
Yeah, I think that's a fantastic analogy. I, I think, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're that foundation that, that holds it all together. If something happens to them, the whole house falls apart. Yeah, Marcus Smart. Walls, right? Exactly. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know a darn thing of when it comes to building a house. So I'm glad I was able to follow along with your analogy, which is good because it means everyone should be able to follow along with it. I might be wrong. Could... My analogy might be completely wrong anyway. <laughs> it just made sense to me at the time. I'm operating under the guise that, that everything you said is accurate and that you're essentially, you know, tooled, Tim the Toolman Taylor of uh, of England. So oh, man. A home improvements reference, dude. You need your, you need some applause right now, dude. <laughs> May have to edit that in. I, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty proud of myself to think of that. But, yeah, I think it's, it was spot on for, for what I know about home construction, which is all through home improvement. Marcus Smart is is a guy that, yeah, you can't be afraid to move on from him, but I, but I do think that what he brings to this team is important, but there's a line. There's just a line that you got to have to kind of be firm with, and you really got to have alignment with him, his camp, everything that goes into it. And when it doesn't quite align anymore, it's one of those things you can't overpay for a guy like that because then that's going to affect the true foundation of what you're building with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and you can't have that happen. That cannot be the case that you're overpaying for Marcus Smart as if he's a third foundational member that's holding the house up because that's not who he is. Exactly, yeah. I think he's um, he's a, he's a complementary foundation. Maybe he's the foundation of the extension you build. I feel like Marcus Smart is the guy that teams trade for when they're one piece away from being a true contending team. So, you know, maybe Atlanta failed, say Atlanta get through to the finals and then fall to Phoenix. Marcus Smart is for sure the guy that they're going to try and um, acquire. You know, they're going to be putting feelers out like, hey, yeah. if you hit free agency, you know, come and play next to Trey Young. Dallas with Luca are going to be saying to Marcus, hey, would you want to come back home to Texas? You know, mm-hmm. because he's that guy that, literally make he he takes that defensive pressure off of your superstars because he can pick up that additional slack and um there's value there which is why i'm like the, the celtics need a hard stop because there's going to be a team that feel they're one piece away that might have cap space or might be able to get to the necessary excuse me necessary cap space quite quickly um and then all of a sudden marcus smart no longer is giving you a return of a, a positive return on investment yeah, I think in that same vein, that's where you see a lot of, and these are all just fake trades that, that come up here, in which people think about maybe like a CJ McCollum from Marcus Smart based trade, where Marcus Smart is changing that backcourt dynamic and providing more support for a superstar like Damian Lillard on the defensive side of the ball, as opposed to CJ McCollum, who in in theory is the one that gives him more freedom on on the offensive end but having a kind of switch for a team that that's stalled out so uh, i i think there is opportunity there and we'll have to see if that's something ever the celtics you know decide to pursue or if they hold on to marcus but you know those are going to be the type of teams like the ones that you mentioned that could potentially see marcus smart being a culture changer or being a finishing touch to a product that's close to being where it needs to be to be in that championship contention yeah, and I feel like if you're looking at like another guy that's up for an extension in Rob Williams, Rob Williams is on the completely opposite end of that spectrum. Rob, brilliant, Rob, Rob Williams is the guy that a team looking to enter into a rebuild or a team that's deep into a rebuild that feels like they're a piece or two away from now being able to contend for the eighth seed or seventh seed. Rob is that guy that they take a swing at. So you're looking at teams like um, 
Detroit might like an idea of Rob Williams. Washington might feel like he could be a good backup center or starting center there. I know Washington have their their own center at the moment. Um, you can look at guy, teams out west. Maybe who are some teams that struggled out west? My mind's going blank. Hmm, I'm trying to think right now. I mean, the Kings are always looking for are always yeah, looking for talent I mean, in the, general. Yeah. <laughs> That's an easy one. <laughs> like the Magic might want him as like a cover for Jonathan Isaac, but they've already got their own injury worries with Isaac. And yeah, I, I mean, I think with I think with the whole Rob Williams thing. I mean, I think to, to the to the point that you're making right now, you know. This is where if you were to get him on a team-friendly extension, it actually gives him, you know, if he can stay healthy and maybe has certain value, this is where then maybe you can come from a, from a point of leverage to some of these teams that you're mentioning and get more from them for a guy like Rob Williams. Oh, for sure. And it could be that the other team acquire him via a sign-in trade because that only hard caps the other team. It doesn't hard cap Boston. As long as if you're the Celtics and you're moving on from Rob Williams in any sort of trade that you're getting fair value back. And again, it's really hard to talk about value because we see these guys night in, night out. So we value them at one, like on one tier of the value scale and teams will probably value them either a step up or a step down, Mm -hmm. depending on the fit and the culture that the guy's walking into, injury history, projected upside, and all of this crazy stuff that none of us are going to ever be privy to. But from there, you kind of have to be like, right, what is a fair return for Rob Williams? Now, we're too far into a podcast to start today. <laughs> I was going to say, man, it might be a little bit too late. This might have to be kicked over to next week. Yeah, I mean, and it's we don't even need to. That's a good discussion point for the listeners. It's a good discussion point for social media in general. But from our standpoint, it's like just discussing this here at like a surface level. It's right. You need to make sure the return's good. But again, it's do you think Rob Williams is going to sign a team-friendly extension? Do you think like... You sign Rob Williams to an extension now, right? And then he gets, uh, no, sorry, Rob Williams declines his extension, then gets injured early in the season. Well, now there's no way you're going to be able to trade him because that injury history gets worse, more games missed, his value plummets, and now you wait until the offseason where you're going to re-sign him. So it makes sense for Rob to sign an extension, but if he feels like his injury worries are in the past and he's going to have the best season of his career so far, then he's probably, and you know, players are always going to bet on themselves. That's what got them into the NBA in the first place. I'm just not sold that Rob is going to be willing to accept that extension. I think he's going to want to play out the year. He's restricted, so if he does, and you know, he could be like Boston can match if they want. Uh, I've just got this feeling that we're going to see Rob play this year out, and we're going to be in a will he won't he situation at the end of the season. I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm with you, Adam. And I think, honestly, I think that's probably, if, if it's not, and we touched on this a few episodes ago, so we don't need to go rehash that. But if, if he's not willing to do a team-friendly deal that fits about that 8 to $12 million range that I think we settled on for, you know, two, three years, maybe a team option, play it out. We'll see how it goes from there. I mean, I like the way that Wick said we've got three guys up for contract renewals or extensions right now. He did not say we're going to extend those offers. He just said they're up. For mm-hmm. renewals or extensions, and I think that was something that a lot of people just took as, "Hey, he said this, so they're going to be dealing with those guys, those three guys." But no, what that means is these three guys are going to need paying. Doesn't mean they're getting paid in Boston. And by following on from that and saying I expect it to be a busy summer, there's a way where you can infer into there that one or two of those guys might not be here come the trade deadline or come the start of the season, especially when two of the three of those guys are still under contract and are some of your most valuable trade chips. 
Yeah, regardless of what happens with those three guys, I think the main thing to keep in mind for everyone listening, flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. This is something that everyone from Brad Stevens, Wick Grossbeck, Ime, that they've all talked about is having flexibility as much as they can within the confines that currently exist to have to be able to improve this roster when needed and support the Jays. That's what's going to be most important when it comes to those three guys is how does that affect our flexibility now and going forward into the future. Yeah, which is exactly why I think that any sign-in trade this year is not going to happen where a sign-in trade player is coming into Boston. Wick mentioned very clearly we're not hard-capped this year, which I took as we're not intending to be hard-capped this year. So I think that, you know, um, we're going to, every move we see is going to be with the mind of flex, uh, immediate and future flexibility, and that means that the Lonzo Ball dream is most likely not going to happen. Um, any sign and trade that brings a guy into Boston is most likely not going to happen. These are going to be more finesse-based deals. And I'm really curious to see how Brad does having to wheel and deal his way around what we could call the bargain basement, you know. But like um, teams do it all the time. And if you can hit on a couple of these lower-level, non-star guys and you hit good and get valuable production, well, now we're cooking. I keep saying it, but now we're cooking with gas. It's it's a feeling where I'm like, if we're one or two pieces away from contending, we as in the Celtics, it doesn't necessarily mean those pieces have to be all-stars or have to be borderline yeah. all-stars. I mean, I mean, here's the thing, Adam. L- look at the Nets roster, and yes, of course, you're going to go directly to James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. You know, most of the season, at least two out of those three were not available at various times. They were supported by a lot of signings of guys that are all making $3 million or less from various points, whether it's buyouts from Blake Griffin, you know, Jeff Green, whether it was a signing from overseas like Mike James. There's ways to get it done on the fringes and hit on those guys that can support your team and support your stars that can be extremely impactful. So it's going to be interesting to see how we go from the current roster construction to maybe having a few more of those those veterans on those smaller fringe deals and how they can maybe come in here and make an impact. Bro, you know that um, fringe players can make an impact when Abdul Nader is playing in the NBA Finals. <laughs> Bro, this is going to be the strangest NBA Finals. I saw just the other night with all of these crazy injuries that, ascent, that the, the two players being highlighted or the marquee players we're looking at John Collins versus Chris Middleton. And by the NBA Finals Game 7, I don't know, man. Maybe we're looking at campaign going one-on-one against Brandon Goodwin in the, in the Finals. Who, who knows, man? This is all just crazy. I'm loving it, though, right? I want to start taking bets on whether we see um, Charles Barkley cry Phoenix win it all. <laughs> That'd be interesting. I feel like he's an emotional dude. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to take some bets on that. I'm not a bookie, so please don't expect me to pay you if you win. But you know, like good faith bets where it's just a bit of fun, no, no um, actual wages in, like involved. And yo, hit me up, man. I'm down. I think Charles Barkley's gonna cry like a baby. Yeah. Before we get out of here, Adam, you got any NBA Finals predictions? Of, of who, I mean, we're down to three teams now. We're, we're not sure what's gonna happen with the Hawks and and Bucks series yet. We know the Suns are in the finals. You got one team that you're you're predicting to win it all right now. I think Phoenix did. I think, well, I, yeah, I think Phoenix. I've got a feeling that with no Giannis, I've got a feeling that um, Atlanta just get this done now. And then I think that Phoenix are just better than Atlanta. 
Yeah, Phoenix is legit, man. And it's, it's good to see Chris Paul get a little bit of shine. It's been a weird postseason, but... You know, throughout the entire season, one thing Phoenix, for the most part, has been has been healthy. And I know, ironically enough, you know, Chris Paul had the shoulder injury at the beginning of the postseason and had COVID. But, you know, outside of that, that team's been very healthy, especially with all of their, you know, their core pieces. So, it, it you know, in a season where almost no one can stay healthy, it's a war of attrition. So if the Phoenix Suns find themselves on top at the end, maybe that's fitting and, and Chris Paul finally gets his ring. Yeah, and props to DeAndre Ayton as well. Big men usually take years to develop in this league, and he's been awesome. a phenomenal dude. Um, really, really, really good. I've really enjoyed watching DeAndre Ayton. Um, the pick and rolls with Ayton and Booker as well have been just beautiful. I like the way the Suns play. I think, like I tweeted it out, I actually went back and started watching um, the entire Suns Clippers series again just because I've enjoyed it so much. You know, and people are like, hey, it's going to be a gentleman's sweep. Well, no, it wasn't. It was close to a gentleman's sweep. But just the brand of basketball that Phoenix have played has been beautiful. Um, I don't like watching Milwaukee play, to be quite honest with you. I think it's uh, quite a dull style of basketball. Um, I don't know whether that's just because I'm like, oh, Giannis. Um, <laughs> you know? But look, man, we're getting off track. Uh, I think we've hit on everything we needed to. Do you have anything you want to let these people know before... You continue with your day in Mexico? Nah, man. I'm about to go down to the pool here, grab a cerveza, grab a Modelo, go chill out with my girl and her and her brother. Take it easy. But for all of you listening, appreciate you guys. Make sure you go review, follow, subscribe, rate, all of that. And if you're looking for me, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Wilbon13, W-I-L-L-B-O-N-1-3. It's the same handle, Twitter, Instagram. Hope to see y'all out there. And if you want to follow me because you don't already, then I would very much appreciate this. It's at Adam Taylor NBA on Twitter and Instagram and on YouTube, which I will be eventually get around to actually start producing content there. Instagram, I've started doing these fun little reels where, you know, I'm giving guys tips where to find video clips. I'm giving guys tips on um, where to find salary cap information. It's just a bit of fun, but, you know, I'm trying to diversify my following. So I'd appreciate it on either of those platforms. Make sure to show Will some love. Um, Greg, who's on here on Sundays, has just dropped a new single for his band, so make sure to go check that out on Spotify too. Right, and, then as usual, and as usual, please make sure to continue showing love to the Celtics blog guys. All of those guys doing amazing work over on the website, They're pumping out articles left, right, and center, all really high quality. And with that, we will leave you to enjoy your Friday and your weekend, and we will be back again on Monday, barring a cataclysmic end of extinction level event so with that being said thank you very much for listening as will said please rate review subscribe do all of that beautiful good stuff and we'll see you on the flip side disrespecting you hate is i ain't sweating your opinion y'all been testing my patience never did it for a check i've been impressed with the famous just rather be creative than stressing my wages ageless every time i lay a verse down one play at a time keep it moving like a first down and at the end of the day i can say that i made this mj never made it to the major still he chased greatness expected that he might fail and i might too i might never get to pop champagne celebrating with the